Good afternoon, traders. How we doing out there? Welcome to Stock Market Movers. I'm your host, Money Mitch. Let's talk about today's show. We got on the topics. We got economic dad, uh, data that we'll talk about. Jobless claims, GDP, bearish surveys that are out there. Apple downgraded. Warren Buffett buying some more Occidental. We'll talk about Coinbase, First Solar, Earnings on CarMax, Bed Bath & Beyond, Rite Aid, and there's a couple of earnings after the bell that we should definitely keep on watch. City going out there and making a bold call, calling for a rally. Bank of England talk with our guest today. And of course, we'll also talk about the Fed outlook. We got some great guests like always. We got Sean Richards, freelance economist, joining us at 115. And then at 145, we got none other than Lance Roberts, chief strategist of RIA Advisors and editor of Real Investment Advice. Excited to get into today's show. Let's find out what's going on in this market because it's like always, there's always some swings in this volatile market. Let's get it started. Welcome to Stock Market Movers. I'm your host, Money Mitch. Let's dive right in. There are three ways to make a living in this business. Be first, be smarter, or cheat. I can't help you cheat, but I can give you the informational edge to help you succeed in the markets. Welcome to Stock Market Movers. All the market moving headlines and expert opinions every day. They say money is the oxygen of capitalism, and I want to breathe more than any man alive. All right, traders, welcome to Stock Market Movers. Let's get into it. If you guys have a question for our guest that will be coming on up, feel free to drop it in the chat. That's the great part about this show that you're not going to get anywhere else. Where else do you get to speak to the analyst and ask them the questions that you want answers to? This is the competitive advantage that we have right here on Benzinga versus everywhere else. This is what why you guys want to be hitting that subscribe button down below and that bell so you get notified the moment we go live. Let's get right into the action. Spy coming on down today, and it was in kind of this hourly sideways range, right? I've been calling out this even on my Twitter, looking at the spy just trading kind of sideways in this hourly trend. And I was wondering, were we going to get back above the 370s or were we going to get below the 363s? Well, it looks like we wanted to come back and try to take out those Tuesday lows. The low there being, uh, we got. 360.87 and so we we got close to that level we didn't break that level for at least a, a long time we got a, just a quick dip through and of course what do you see the bodies kind of close back above that so that's where i'm watching around right now do we get back below do we go towards the 360s today that's what we don't want to see especially your bulls out there but the bears seem like they have control today. And a lot of this is going to be on Apple, really. That's what we're going to get into. Let's first talk about the economic data that came out today. And let's get into the micro action. I definitely think Apple has changed around the outlook. Even though we were looking to get some kind of rallies because we were oversold, I think that news that came in on Apple yesterday, even though it didn't really crush the stock yesterday, it's crushing it today. And we'll talk all about that right here on Stock Market Movers. All right, let's get into it. Thanks for the idea on Apple. I was waiting for the drop below 150. The rest is applesauce. Well, I hope you got some of that applesauce. I'm not a big fan of applesauce, but hey, maybe you like that flavor. And as long as we can make that cash, can't go wrong, right? Let's take a look at the economic data that came out today. And of course, uh, what, what kind of got this market coming down, right? Well, a stronger than expected jobless claims report definitely did not help, right? Um, so if we take a look here, uh, the initial jobless claims was at 193,000 versus 215,000 expected. The prior was 213,000, right? So we actually want to see this number going up not coming down because what does that show us that the labor market is still strong if you guys know a lot of people have been saying that we're in a recession but a lot of the talk out there and why we're not really in a recession is because of the job market continuing strong 
Now, at least numbers like this doesn't show me too much strength when I look into the U.S. GDP. And now we're in the third kind of consecutive where we're going into a negative reading here. Not what we wanted to see, but at least in line, right? At least it didn't come in negative 0.8 versus negative 0.6 estimated here and versus the the prior one, which was a negative 1.6, right? At least the expectations seemed like they were in line here. And then when you look at continuously jobless claims, they came in a little bit slightly under, and that's not a good sign. That's showing more and more the job market still holding up, even though we're seeing all these mentions of layoffs and freezings of hirings, they're not showing up in the data. This could be an issue because of how the data is taken. But at the end of the day, the data is not there. And like the Fed keeps telling us, they're data dependent. So this is one thing that we keep on eyes open to. And of course, we're getting, you know, kind of the latest bearish sentiment. Uh, the American Association for Individual Investors surveyed showed bearish sentiment in the week ending uh, Wednesday on September 28th at 60.9%. The first time in more than 1,800 weekly readings. Going back to when? Of course, 1987, another time when we had some inflation, right? So one thing that I'm starting to notice is all these readings are still going back to the 70s and the 80s when the inflation was the highest. That's not what we want to see, guys. That's signs of concern, at least in my eyes. That just shows me more and more how the consumer is still concerned about inflation. Even though we want to see the markets turn back around, the number one thing I don't want to see is inflation stick around because that hurts us all, right? All right, let's keep going. Let's get into the market. Let's talk about some topics that are moving the market. We've talked about Apple, so let's get into it. Let's see how Apple is performing on the day. You guys can see it just took out the lows again on the day. This is why I was concerned about Apple coming into the market today. There's two stocks I was going to watch. It was going to be Apple and it was going to be Tesla. But let's not talk too much about Tesla. I just wanted to show you guys the chart and how this was coming down massively also. And so let's go towards Apple here. And let's talk about their news. Well, it's dipping more than 2% in the pre-market because Bank of America downgraded the tech to neutral from a buy and slashed its price target on stock. What did they say? Well, they said that Apple has outperformed However, we see this risk of this outperformance over the next year. And one thing that they're going to expect to see is they're expecting to see material negative estimate revisions to uh, by driven, of course, by weaker demand. If we th think about yesterday, right? Bloomberg gave us that idea, right? Demand coming down. Now, the one thing that really concerns me is it looks like Apple has not fought back on that news. You didn't hear them kind of mention that, hey, no, that's not what we're seeing. The demand isn't going down, right? And so in my eyes, this leaves room for concern going into the earnings. Will Apple do a pre-announcement? Will they let us know that there truly is weaker consumer demand? And how would that affect the market, right? And so Apple definitely struggling up here coming down and dragging the market. You know, one thing I don't want to do is kind of see my leadership. And if you take a look here at our leadership today, stocks like Apple down almost 5%, Microsoft down 2.3%, Google down almost 4%, Tesla almost down 7% on the day, Google down 3.6%, UNH, J&J. It seems like majority of these are just going down, even the bigger stocks. Look at uh, a defensive name like PG, Kraken also. It just seems like none of these can hold on. And even an NVIDIA that got a little bit of a spike yesterday coming and making new lows. And you know what we've been saying on the show, just like Dennis has been telling us, new lows, you gotta go. It's dangerous out there with NVIDIA right now. And Apple really kind of driving this move back down today. Didn't expect to see it at 142. Was looking to see if we would just even get through 145. And we flushed through that like butter. So let's see what happens towards the end of the day. But if Apple can still keep breaking down these lows, I'd also be careful to see the SPY kind of break down through those 360, 97 or 87 area if you're looking at that. 
All right, in just about a minute or two, we're going to be getting into our first interview. Like I mentioned a little bit earlier, if you guys have a question, feel free to jump it into the chat. That's the advantage that we have over all the other media. Majority of the media out there that is getting to these analysts doesn't give you guys the opportunity to take the wheel. So go ahead and take that wheel and drop a question in the chat. Coming on up in about a minute, we'll be getting into that interview just want to do a last little headline here before we get into uh, kind of our first interview. Now, I don't want to get into a big topic here. I just wanted to bring in the thoughts from Citigroup as uh, City is calling for a rally. Uh, they're saying here that we are set up for a risk on rally, calling it a relief rally at some point in Q4. So City U.S. equity strategist Scott uh, Conhurst said Thursday on Squawk on the Street, looking for that relief rally. We'll see if we can get it, right? I mean, we are kind of in oversold territory, and that is clearly seen, uh, as you guys have been, I've been pointing out the RSI here coming on down. Now the real question is, when will we get that bounce, right? It doesn't mean that it has to happen today just because we're oversold. So we'll see if we actually do get some of relief rally going into Q4. And I think that a lot of bulls were kind of weighing this already, way ahead of time, that Q4 would be a bullish season. Let's see what happens. Nothing is a given, and we're going to have to wait to find on out. All right, let's get towards our interview today. First up, we're going to go ahead and get to Sean Richards, freelance economist. So feel free to drop in those questions. And let's get to our interview. All right, let's bring on Sean Richards here, freelance economist. Thank you for joining me today, Sean. A pleasure. Nice to be back on your show. Definitely. It's great to have you on. The first thing I want to do is kind of just talk about it on kind of a high level, hear your outtake on what exactly happened yesterday and what led to this result from the Bank of England. Okay. Um, there's, there's been various factors in play. One of it comes from your country, actually, the, the Federal Reserve and its raising of interest rates and the consequent rise in the dollar has put a lot of pressure on the rest of the world. In the last week or so, it's hit my country, the UK. Why? Well, there were two things. First is if we go back a week to last Thursday, the Bank of England decided to raise interest rates by half a percent. Now, that really matters because the Fed had raised by three quarters. I know it's only a little bit, but at a minute, in my opinion, you've got to match the Fed. You could almost set our interest rates for us, in my opinion. We've got to. Otherwise, the dollar will hurt us. So that was in play. Then the next day, we had a budget where there was a big change in policy in terms of supporting energy costs. Now, I know that they've risen in the US. I'm not sure if people ordinarily have the idea of how much they've risen over here. You know, the, the, the one next month, even with the help, and this is with, will be up 26%. It would have been much, much more without it, maybe even 100%. So that's what's in play here. There's another factor. One area the Bank of England was copying um, the US in was that it was going to sell some of the bonds it bought. So the Federal Reserve has been doing this for a few months. Bank of England was going to start in a few weeks. And then that didn't seem very well. So we had that. We had the government borrowing more. Pressure came on. And then there was something else that came up that made things something of a crisis. And that is pension funds have had it difficult because interest rates have been zero. They've got to pay out money. They did all sorts of derivative deals. And it's human nature. You assume, oh, this won't happen over there. And guess what? It has. So it's like, it's like the film A Perfect Storm. Who was it? George Clooney. Everything hits at once. UK was in a mess. So the Bank of England decides we've got to come back in. And this is a real reversal here because they were going to be selling. Now they're buying. Yeah. So yeah, that's now, the mixture of the whole sequence of events. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, of course, all the investors are wondering, what are the ramifications now of this move going towards kind of QE 
versus when everybody else is kind of more in QT mode, right? Everyone's trying to tighten and it seems like this is a move back to quantitative easing. How do you feel the ramifications will be moving forward? Well, I, I've long questioned whether they can actually ever stop QE. It's just such a big push. You know, yeah. if, we, if we look in the, look in the UK, now that we have actually trimmed it back a bit because we let bonds mature, but it was still about 840 billion pounds. So less from the 875 billion, but nonetheless a lot. If we look at Europe, I think their balance sheet is four or five trillion euros. The Federal Reserve balance sheet, I know they're trimming it a little bit, but it's still just shy, excuse me, of nine trillion US dollars. How are they going to, you know, it was my old line of work in the bond market. Who are they going to get to buy all this? Because for a long time, people have got out of the habit because the central banks have bought it. So there's sort of generations of people, not generations, excuse me, but people have worked for several years and not done it. So there's a lot of questions about that. Returning to my original point, and this is a, a sort a lot of this is US centric, actually, ironically, that the Fed has really put a squeeze on here by raising interest rates. Now here's the twist. They've bought at the top, now they want to sell at the bottom. How does that work? Doesn't work for you or I, does it? Yeah, no. And my question would be here, will the Bank of England do what their mission was here, right? It was to stabilize the pound, right? Will they be able to actually stabilize it? Well, the pound's done very well today. After a rough run, we're back above, or at least last time I checked, we're back at 110. So we're not quite back where we were. I think we're above 111, the budget 112. But if we sort of get back to that, that stabilize it, but there's still an issue because... Over the year, there have been various things in the move. We've lost ground against the dollar, virtually everyone has. We've actually gained ground against the yen because that's done even worse. And we've done a little, depending exactly where we're a little bit worse than the euro. So the pressure's been on everyone. The idea that it's a sterling crisis, well, okay, in Monday night or whenever that was, excuse me, Monday morning, Sunday night, when we went to 103, yeah. But that was quiet markets. They were looking for stops here. I don't know if um, viewers are comfortable with this, but I've seen this many times, and I used to work on the futures floor in London. I've done various other things. People will take the market to where they think they can make money. That doesn't mean that's the right price. That means that on Sunday night, who was going to buy the pound? No one. Anyone that might was probably asleep for a start. But anyway, nonetheless, if they got up, still no one. So you take the price down. It's a free run. Then there are people that will have orders in, stop losses, that they'll trigger. And so that's easy money for them. So even by the next morning, we were back up at 107. So I feel very sorry for those who have stopped losses because they've been cleaned out. But that's the way that it works. Again, less yeah. likely, say, for the US dollar, because that's probably more, well, it's certainly more actively traded most of the time. But even something pretty well known like the pound will have periods where it's quiet. You know, we've seen things, say, bounce around even in the Japanese yen. That's had a lot of moves this year. That is the third most widely traded currency. So there's a lot of things in play, and the pressure is really being squeezed. You're putting a lot of pressure on the rest of the world, or not you personally, but Jerome Powell and his colleagues at the Federal yeah. Reserve. Definitely. I mean, and you said it best, right? I mean, a lot of times the other banks follow our central bank, right? And I think one of the things that I've been seeing now, and it's from different governments, right? The UK did this also, is put those energy caps, right? How do you think those energy caps really play out in the long run? And would these caps create more inflation in the long run? Well, I think a lot of the problem here has been energy policy that we've had. See, there's nothing necessarily wrong with wind farms and solar, but if you try and rely on them in scale, you have all sorts of issues. To give you an example of something I looked up, modeling in the UK, now God knows why they did this, it wasn't me, seemed to assume that wind would only stop for five days. And then we had a period of three weeks where it was very low. And actually most of August, and some of the time recently, it's also been a wind drought. So you can't rely on that at all. Uh, because it's on a really good day, the UK gets about 16 gigawatts out of it, which is a decent thing. But how do you replace that? So you need all the other stuff. So we've sort of splashed around spending money, and it's now quite a mess. 
because what happens when you make yourself vulnerable? Invariably, something turns up, and it's the Ukraine war, which means it's not for the UK that big a deal, the gas being turned off, because we didn't really use that. But of course, people we might have relied on, it's taken it off them. So something where we might have used it, the reserves gone. And now we're looking around. And here's the real insanity of this. I don't know much US viewers are aware, but the UK has loads of coal. We don't choose to use it. It is apparently green to do the following. Pay someone else to mine it, chip it to the UK, then we use it, rather than someone digging it up in Nottingham or places like that where we have lots of it. So there's this is a mess. This is our own mess. But this is generically true for Europe. So yourselves have helped us out a bit, sending us some LNG and so on. Because oh, there's a genuine risk people will be cold here this winter. Not necessarily because they can't afford it. That's a problem. But that there isn't any. Now, I think the UK has just about got out of the won't be anything. But other parts of Europe, that's not necessarily true. So what happens next, Sean? What happens next in Europe from going forward from here? Well, I think that there's very, very strong recessionary influences because there's lots of businesses that rely on energy and they're just uneconomic. You know, someone might be selling windows to someone and someone will pay 200 pounds for that. They might be coming back this year saying, well, it's now 800. And then even if someone wants to pay it, they might not be able to with that sort of move. So all of the energy intensive industries are in quite a mess. If you follow the media news around here, it's various announcements of slowdowns, reduced hours. Some places are just closing almost. You know, it's very sad. Some of these businesses are 100 years old or something like that. And it's all because of this big whoosh in energy prices it makes it uneconomic. I mean, in a sense, maybe for bits of the US are good. Somewhere, I don't know, I mean, the fracking sites are in Texas or something like that. Might be get some cheap thing. Start up a blast furnace. But over here, that sort of thing, and that feeds through into other stuff. Um, for example, think of you, Germany produces a lot of stuff. How does that work? Well, they need energy, right? <laughs> yeah. Now so, what... this, so this is the sort of recession theme as well as inflation. Now, one of the things that we'll definitely keep an eye on is I think in the next couple of months, will there be any mention of other banks kind of going into that panic mode, right? I think this is something that we need to keep on watch. I think, you know, some of the economists even here in the U.S. started pointing towards maybe our Fed would pivot if they could see maybe in financial accident coming on the way or some instability do you feel that these are the questions that are to be asked now definitely because these things to predict like say the pension funds that cause some of the trouble in the uk there's probably an equivalent in the us somewhere just simply hasn't blown up yet and yeah. you know it's, it's self-fulfilling scenarios once it starts it's like something rolling down a hill you can't stop it and but how can you predict that? I would suggest that probably the areas most exposed are around Europe, because remember, they had negative interest rates. And for a long time, they had negative bond yields. So for things like their pension funds, this must be very awkward. I mean, how did that ever work? So someone comes in and they give you some money and for a pension and you say, in 25 years time, that'll be worth less than what you gave us. That works, yeah. doesn't, does it? So no, that's there's, tough. there's lots of questions on that. You know, and well, that's the thing. You know, of course, uh, one thing that we definitely don't want to be seeing is financial instability, right? There's one thing battling inflation. There's a whole nother thing when it starts getting into financial instability. So it looks like the Bank of England stepped in here to change that. Now it's going to be about what results from this. Thank you for joining me today, Sean Richards, freelance economist. Yes, you guys can definitely find Sean on Twitter also reach out. He puts out some great tweets. So thank you for coming on today, Sean. Thank you. Pleasure. All right. That's going to do it for our first interview today. I hope that you guys enjoyed that. I'll definitely make sure that we have Sean uh, Twitter in the description so that you guys can go ahead and give him a good follow. I actually got his Twitter right here. Let's go ahead and just send it on over for you guys. You guys can click the link in the chat. I'll throw it up there and give him a follow. 
he's a, he's a pretty decent follower. And one of the things that I like is he puts out his opinion and that's what we need. Sometimes we want to go ahead and continue following, especially when we're in this situation where it's global, right? It's not just a situation that's going on here in the U S you want to have your sources that are especially across the pond, understanding more of Europe than we are here. And you can see it. It's, it was troubled times and the bank of England had to make a move. Now the question will be, was that the right move, right? But the same thing also mentioned, I think, there by Sean about that governments for a long time, they relied on kind of that renewable energy outlook. And I think that we're really running into the walls and conflict of that outlook. And now it's just more of a matter of, do you care more about you know the, the overall ESG movement or do you care more about your consumer overall, right? That's why we're battling these caps. It's going to be a battle here. And really, it's kind of a conflicting one. There's really no right or wrong answer. It's just more along what's best for your people, right? That's what you want to be worrying about. We'll see what happens. All right, let's continue going into the other headlines that are out there. Um, next one we're going to get into is a kind of a battle here in crypto. So let's talk a little bit about that. Wells Fargo initiating Coinbase with an underweight here. So let's go to Coin. Let's take a look at how we're doing on Coin today. Looks like it came down right at the open, just like a lot of things coming down today. And what did they say on Coinbase today? Well, they gave out an initiation, right? This is just starting coverage here by Wells Fargo. They gave it a underweight, citing a right, rising macroeconomic pressures among potential negative catalysts. Though we believe the value in Coin's platform, we see early mover advantages gradually being eroded away as the competition increasingly mimics the Coin ecosystem. Analyst Jeff Cantwell wrote in a Thursday note, and I'll go ahead and just to kind of bring it to different areas, not just think about it in Coinbase. Think about this overall. Think about what they're giving you here. They're letting you know that the early mover advantage is going away. When companies have early mover advantage, this helps because there's not the, the big competition, right? We can think about this maybe in Tesla's way as in other EVs really get that kind of lift, like let's say Ford or GM eventually with EVs. Will they get to a point where the early mover advantage that Tesla has will slowly erode away also? These are conversations that you need to be thinking when you're talking about innovative areas in the economy, right? And so it could be as simply as, um, let's say, electric trucking, right? How long will this last? Well, it could be as far as maybe until there's an engine that's really good on natural gas or maybe an engine that runs on green hydrogen. These are thoughts that you want to always be thinking about. Does a company have early mover advantages? Does it have a, a competitive advantage? When it comes down to it, those are the main things I like to look for in a company to tell me that this could stick around. And it looks like coin coming down fast. And I, I know that a lot of people don't want to think about it, but I do think that coin eventually breaks through that 47 and could come down towards, I think it it will find some balancing around $20 or $30. But to think about where this stock IPO'd and where it's heading, it's nothing that I want to be a part of, at least for the, the meantime being. All right, let's keep going through some other analyst ratings. First, Solar is another one that got an analyst rating today. And you guys can see it here. They didn't hold it up on that rating, but let's talk about it. Evercore ISI Group upgrading First Solar to outperform, raising the price target to $150. Just didn't hold up today. And Solar overall kind of cracking down today. Take a look at EMPH, SEBG that was already selling off, continued to sell off. So it looks like the Solar trade is falling off the tape here. We'll see if it can catch the bid and bounce back. All right, it's great to see you guys in the chat. Miss Whitehorse, I see FC Easy in the house. It's good to see you guys in the chat. Jay Rice, sure looking like a capitulation day in large cap tech fund blow up. Yeah, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, this is something that we need to be thinking about, right? Eventually, some of these kind of large cap, you know, hedge funds and, and things like that are going to be in, in worry, right? I mean, if the markets keep coming down, do some of those blow up? 
Will we see a repeat of the financial crisis? Of course, that's not what we're intending to do here, but that's why so many people get uh, caught up on the soft or hard landings that they're thinking about with the Fed. Can the Fed still do a soft landing? I highly doubt it. All right, uh, taking care of the spam in the chat and keeping things moving along. Let's go towards the next one. We're going to get into CarMax earnings. Let's go towards our earnings reports today. So CarMax here coming in with an EPS of 79 cents. So KMX is the ticker. KMX coming in 79 cents, missing the dollar and 39 cent estimate. Sales at 8.1 billion, missing the 8.57 billion estimate. The used car dealer put the blame on vehicle affordability challenges. Where are these challenges coming from? Of course, because the interest rates are going higher. And as interest rates go higher and higher, who wants to go get a used car and get like a 8 or 10% interest rate? Don't sign me up for that. Definitely don't sign me up for that. And now I think you're going to start seeing more and more demand destruction. So one of the things that we started seeing early on was Carvana really take off, right? And this happened in the pandemic because the used car prices were skyrocketing and there wasn't really new cars to grab, right? A lot of this was based on inventory. So the car companies tried to reach out to all the used cars on out there and were trying to capture them up because they knew that the value was spiking. A lot of this based on supply, right? Supply and demand always. But what ended up happening in the long run is the demand ended up going away from used cars because they got so expensive to going straight to the new car. So then what happened there? Well, we talked about this last week here on Tuesday um, when we were talking about the new cars and old cars spiking. Now new cars, Kelly Blue Book is saying that the average new car is $48,000. Where did this happen? Well, this happened with the demand that was out there for vehicles when it went away from the used cars, they went to the new cars and they just kept spiking them even higher. So then now the demand is slowly going away from the used cars right when the prices are actually starting to come down in the used car. And now the demand is staying high for those new cars because people just want new cars, right? They want those cool, hip, new EVs. But what's happening there is the prices are so high up from inflation plus the interest rates being so high, what's going to end up happening in the new cars? Demand destruction also. So you got to be careful for companies like Ford and GM. That's why they're coming down so fast also today because the worries of recession start coming after these companies just like they're going to be coming after companies like Carvana, just like I, and I don't want it to be kind of sounding negative, but I don't think Vroom hangs on here as it's coming down. And just to mention another one that I interviewed before, car lots. I don't think they're going to be able to survive this situation, especially if we're going to go into an expend, uh, extended recessionary time. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Not what you wanted to see from CarMax there and definitely getting hit hard. All right, let's go to the next one and I'll catch the uh, comments in the chat. What company did XL buy? Don't make me look. Yeah, I don't think I want to be looking at that either. Uh, KMX, that was a three standard deviation move. Very rare. Expected move was 8.1. And that just shows you more and more how they're just really focused on what the actual standard of the business is, right? Right now, what is it showing? It's showing recessions coming. Prices on used cars coming down. Demand diminishing. Interest rates going higher. Not anywhere that I want to be making some bullish calls. All right, let's keep going. Let's get towards the next earnings stock here. In about uh, eight minutes, we'll be getting into our second interview. So stick around, guys. We've got another great interview for you guys. After this, Is we're going to get into Lance Roberts, chief strategist of RIA Advisors and editor of The Real Investment Advice. Has his own YouTube channel. If you guys haven't seen Lance Roberts before, I even catch him from time to time in the morning when I'm just going through my market, kind of building up the day. 
I'll put them on to the right-hand side and listen in on them. So stick around for Lance Roberts. has a great YouTube channel. So if you guys haven't seen that before, definitely check it out. All right, let's go towards Bed Bath and Beyond. And it just seems to me like this is another company that I don't think survives through this time. But let's talk about it. Uh, Bed Bath and Beyond reported a 28% drop in quarterly sales, wider than projected loss. Uh, they had a loss in the EPS of three dollars and twenty-two cents, missing the loss of a dollar eighty-five cent estimate. It's not like that estimate was small. That's a huge miss there on the EPS and at a loss. Sales at one point four four billion, missing the one point four five billion estimate, just shows me that you know if I was an investor, I'd be running for the hills. But to each his own, if you think this is still going to be a turnaround story and Bed Bath and Beyond, well, then you can go ahead and, and make your own investment decisions here. They did maintain full year 22 guidance, so that's not the worst news. But in my long run outlook, this company is just on a slow leaking of cash till they go ahead and go to bankruptcy. That's what I would expect from Bed Bath and Beyond. But like always, you guys make your own call there. All right, let's go towards the next one, which was not rad, even though that's the ticker, is Rite Aid. Let's talk about Rite Aid coming in here at a loss of 63 cents, missing the loss of 55 cent estimate. Sales at 5.9 billion beat the 5.77 billion estimate. So if you wanted to point to the bright side, at least they were able to beat on the sales. They did maintain full year 23 sales guidance. Their EPS came a little bit wider. Uh, they're expecting now a loss maybe of $1.52 to $0.97 cent loss. The estimate is $1.39. So they're just kind of giving you a wide range here on the guidance for the EPS. And the EBITDA guidance at $460 million to $500 million, going down to $450 million to a high end of 490 million. So pretty much taking off 10 million from that guidance. So lowering their EBITDA guidance. And really this just shows what we've been seeing all around. Lowering the guidance, lowering that and showing you that even though the economy doesn't look like it's in you know dire straits, well, it shows us here that a lot of companies just can't hit their numbers the way that things are rolling right now. All right, kind of catch up with the chat. What's going on out there? XL bought Spruce Power. I did not catch that one. Um, and that is interesting. XL Fleet taking a purchase down here. Honestly, I mean, we're talking about a 90 cent stock. I, I don't even want to get into it. Let's just say that. All right, let's continue going. Let's take a look at some other uh, areas. So what so does it make it public company now? Yeah, when you if a public company buys a private company, they would go ahead and get it into their portfolio, thus creating more of a public company. And this is why private companies a lot of the times don't want to get bought up by a public company because all of a sudden they're given to new scrutiny, right? So like let's say a perfect example is like a Stripe. Stripe is still a unicorn out there that everybody would love to have under their belt. But Stripe hasn't made the move really to go public. And a lot of that, I think, is because of the financial scrutiny that comes in. But it could also have been that they made a good call and not going public after, of course, the boom that we got with the SPACs. All right, let's keep going. Uh, earnings after the bell that you guys should keep on watch. Let's talk a little bit about those. So you got Micron coming in here. Micron has is expected to post quarterly earnings of $1.30 a share and revenues of $6.68 billion before the opening bell. Um, and uh, one thing that we need to kind of keep on watch, will Micron continue to kind of make some lift? Um, I'm going to keep watching this. This has been just coming on down since they pre-announced. And the question is now that they lower the bar enough to get this back up. We'll see what happens there on Micron. Uh, Nike, another one to watch. What will happen to Nike? Will it take out those lower levels? It's expected to have earned 92 cents per share on revenues of 12.27 billion for the last quarter. 
as the company releases earnings after the market close. So keep your eyes to see if Nike can get some lift. Not necessarily a company that I would be trying to call. Uh, either way, I'm not really into kind of the footwear, accessories. Maybe got two pairs of Nikes. So, um, and one would be probably more of a Jordans than than Nikes itself. I do like Nike basketball shoes. Those are usually what I usually have, at least a pair of some Nike basketball shoes. But it doesn't look good. It's in a bearish trend coming down, trying to cut through that 90. And it could easily be right back into the pandemic numbers. We'll see what happens there. All right, let's take a quick look at the overall market, see how we're holding on or maybe not holding on here. Let's find out uh, where we're at now. Looks like we're trying to take that leg down. We went and bounced there at the 362. Now towards 361.60s. Be careful, guys. If it breaks through the 360s today, I don't know where we'll stop. Apple showing us new lows. New lows. You got to go. We'll see what happens on Apple as it keeps breaking down and kind of was my bogey to give in pre-market prep. That was the number one stock I was going to watch towards the open was going to see if Apple was going to fade out, and it just looks like it's just coming down fast, guys. Look at this big red bar now that we're seeing on Apple as we keep coming down. And the overall market has not gotten back into that hourly range, heading towards the 360s. Now the big thing is going to be is if we hit that 360, do we all of a sudden just start just literally just pop, 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 hitting those bids, knocking down, knocking down, knocking down, knocking down. That's what I'm a little bit concerned about. That's why I'm not trying to call a little bit of a bounce here just because it could just flush down, right? I'm not trying to battle here and just keep trying to try to catch the dip, catch the dip, catch the dip, and all of a sudden get smushed. And in this market, I feel like, you know, the day traders probably made their money yesterday and the swing traders said, I don't know about swing trading into tomorrow. And if you did, how did it go for you? Well, probably not well because this market came down really fast today at the open. Even good trades uh, that were doing well kind of turned around. Like Tesla wasn't that weak, right? I mean, it was looking decent on the daily chart. I mean, especially if you kind of exclude today's price action, right? It was looking like it was trying to make its way back to 295. You had the 200-day moving average right above it, the 50. Where are we going to get through that level? Today, just knocked down, right back down towards the support. Now we'll see if Tesla keeps leaking out and if a Apple keeps leaking out. Those are the two stocks that I'll continue watching and did not expect to see Apple down this much today, but clearly getting hit hard. All right, let's get out of Apple talk. It's time to get into our second interview of the day. Do you guys do me the favor? Hit the thumbs on up as I'm excited to go ahead and get to our next interview. None other than Lance Roberts coming on up, chief strategist of RIA Advisors and the editor of The Real Investment Advice. Let's see if we can get some good answers from Lance today. All right, like I've told the chat, you guys can feel free to drop a question. The only place where you probably get to, uh, actually it's not, because you guys can go over to Lance's channel and give him some questions also. So this is the one guy I would say that you do get a little bit more access to. So if you haven't seen Lance Roberts' channel before, definitely go check out RIA. I think you won't, you, you won't miss it, guys. Like I tell you guys, I turn it on all the time when I'm getting ready in my morning. So it's good to have you back on, Lance. Hey, glad to be here as always. Thank you. Of course. Let's get into it. First thing, of course, how do you feel about the overall market and any changes that has happened recently to kind of your year end outlook from the recent action? Well, you know, so first of all, let's kind of break this stuff down, uh, I guess, into a couple of components. Uh, you know, first of all, the market action this year has basically sucked. I mean, it's just there's no other way, <laughs> really just no other way to put that. We're not even through. You know, here's an interesting stat for you. We're not even through the year yet, and we've had more negative days this year than at any other 
bear market in history going, we have to go all the way back to 1974 during that yeah. major bear market in 74 to find a year with more negative days, but that was an entire year. So we'll, if we keep this up, we'll actually surpass the number of negative days in a bear market going back to 1974. Okay. Having said that, um, here's a couple of things. The, the mistake that investors make now, and again, you know, you have to separate yourself between, am I a short-term kind of a day trader or am I a longer term investor? Because when we talk about managing money, it's all about duration. How long am I going to hold something for? So if I'm going to buy Tesla, you know, it's very oversold. Apple's very oversold, probably going to get a bounce. But that's a good trading opportunity, not necessarily a good investment opportunity. So understanding what your time frame are is, is incredibly important to what your outlook is. But we're going to talk pretty short term here because of where we are. So right now, there's a lot of indicators in the market that suggest we're probably going to get a pretty good reflexive rally. Now, I can't remember the last time I was on with you. It wasn't that long ago, but back in June, I think it was right around that time frame, we were talking pretty much the same thing. We were saying, hey, you've got record bearish sentiment by individual investors. We've got you know record negative positioning by uh, uh, institutional managers. And this is a good opportunity for a counter trend rally. Now, at the time, we were all just, you know, it's CNBC every day, markets in turmoil, the world's coming to an end. And then you had that nearly 20% advance from the June lows to, to basically the, the middle of August. The, the point is, is I'm not saying that's going to happen again, but the market is set up exactly the same way. Real negative sentiment, markets are three standard deviations below their 50-day moving average. Those are decent signals that suggest you're going to get some type of counter trend rally. Now, what you need is either a lack of bad news or somebody to say something positive, right? You need something yeah. to spark that. Um, but the fuel is there, right? So we've got the fuel in the tank. We just need somebody to start the engine. Uh, and, and the point is, and the reason I tell you this is that if you, you know, if you've kind of gotten on the wrong side of this market, which was really easy to do this year, use that rally to raise some cash, reduce your risk, and, and, and there was a really interesting article out, and we talk about this all the time, but there was a really interesting article on, I think it was Market Watch a day or two ago, um, talking about what central banks have done to investors really over the last decade, which was to extract the whole idea of risk management in a portfolio, right? Just, I didn't need to worry about risk. I just buy stuff and it goes up every day. And, you know, bear market will teach you pretty quick. And there's a lot of people that have never seen a bear market. So, hey, welcome to the party. Yeah. <laughs> this is my fourth one. And uh, here we go. Um, but, yeah, you know, so risk management is incredibly important. And, and, and investors are starting to learn this. But, um, you know, Bob Farrell, which was one of the great technical analysts in, in kind of in market history, um, he had a, a list of 10 rules. And one of his rules was, is that investors buy the most at the top and the least at the bottom. And that's because of psychology and where, where we get offsides in markets. And when markets are really under a lot of stress, like now, this is where we get offsides. We get too negative in our portfolios. So, and then we miss opportunities. So, you know, try not to panic sell here. You're going to get a reflexive rally. That's where you want to lift some exposure, raise a bit of cash. I can't blame you for that outlook. I've been seeing the same thing. The only question is, when will it come, right? I mean, that's the hard part, right? There's one Timing thing, is everything. <laughs> yeah, there's one thing indicators letting us know, oversold, oversold. Yeah. We, we could see that. Definitely, we're right back towards those levels where we get oversold. A lot of times what I like to do is uh, use RSI and just use it more to the extreme. What are right. moments that we've come here? And then usually what you see on the price action is a bounce following that, right? And so I think that's what a lot of investors are seeing. And that's why I think that they might have jumped a little bit too fast to the horse yesterday with yeah. that raising of, of course, the change in the Bank of England. Are you concerned about the upcoming earnings season and some revisions coming on in to take us a little lower? Yeah. So, you know, when you look for, so here's, here's kind of our outlook going into 2023 is, you know, if you look at earnings estimates for companies and more importantly, look at corporate profit margins, um, those are at a, a record level. And even though they've come down some, they're still extremely elevated from where you will be in a slower economic environment. Now, and, and again, this is critically important because where do earnings come from? Earnings come from economic growth. 
earnings just don't get manufactured, although we do a lot of manipulation with accounting, but you can't just manufacture earnings. They've got to come from economic activity. You, you and me buying stuff, doing things like that. So those earnings right now, the estimates are, are about two times what the economy can actually generate. So, you know, and, and a good way to kind of understand that is there's an indicator called the Buffett indicator. And what that is, is the market capitalization of the market relative to what GDP is. And right now, that's about 1.7 times market cap to GDP, depending on how you measure it. Um, and what that tells you is, is that the stock market is 1.7 times more overvalued than the actual what the economy can actually generate. So so the point about this is if we get into a recession next year, which is is an increasing likely probability because the Fed continues to hike rates, uh, you know, that's going to impact the housing market. It's going to impact consumption as rates go up. Uh, there was uh, uh, several charts out today showing car sales uh, dropping markedly. CarMax. Um, I don't know if you took a look at that stock today. Well, it's getting monkey hammered today because why? Sales were very disappointing. And see, and that's a cons that is the base consumer right there telling you we're running out of capital or I can't afford the payment. And, and, and here's the important thing. We don't buy houses. We don't buy cars. We don't buy anything on time for the product. We buy payments. So when the payment is no longer affordable, I don't buy it anymore. Right. And so you're seeing that CarMax is a great example of that today. So here, here's that's a long winded answer to tell you this. Um, estimates right now grow. So if you look at earnings historically, going back to 1900, from the peak of earnings on any cycle to the next peak of the next cycle, those grow at about 6% on average, which is exactly kind of what the economy grows at long-term going back to 1900, exactly what you would expect. Right now, estimates are above that 6% growth trend channel through the last 120 years of history. The, the, the median of that trend is around $150 a share on, S on the S&P 500. They're currently expecting 220 215 to 220. So you're looking at a pretty decent decline. Now, what that means is, is earnings come down, prices have to come down in order to justify those lower earnings. And that brings your overall market valuation down. That's the, the Schiller Cape, your price to earnings ratio. Those have to come down in a recession. So again, you know, while, and this is what I was saying, this market is very oversold. I think you get a bounce. But I think we've got a lot more work to do next year. So it's going to be a bit of a challenging time for investors and look for lower returns. Now, trading opportunities will be good. If you're trying to buy and hold, you know, through this cycle, it's not going to be real fun. Yeah, something has to give. I can clearly see there, right? Something has to give in the data there. Um, now, how low do you feel inflation truly needs to go to see the Fed pivot? Uh, the Fed's going to pivot when they break something. OK, it, the, you know, the, there's a lot of great talk right now about, oh, you know, when the Fed gets back to two percent, they'll pivot. Right. OK, that's complete malarkey. And here's why. If if the economy's doing fine. Right. So the Fed hikes rates to four percent, four and a half percent, pick a number, 10 percent, whatever you want. But the Fed hikes to a certain level and they stop right now. Now, everybody's going, well, as soon as they stop, that means they're going to pivot and start cutting rates and, and it's time to buy stocks. Well, hold on a second. If the Fed hikes rates to 4%, unemployment is still low. Jobless claims are still low. There's no real pickup in volatility. There's no credit stress or what we call financial instability. Why would they cut rates? They wouldn't need to because everything's fine. The only right. time that the Fed is going to cut rates is when something goes wrong. What would that be? That would either be a very nasty recession or a credit event that starts to threaten the banking industry. What happened with the Bank of England yesterday? The Bank of England comes out and says, well, we're back to doing QE because why? Pension funds, the UK pension funds were faced with massive margin calls because of the sharp increase in rates. They have collateral on their books that they borrow on margin. When rates go up, they have to cover that collateral, basically pay it back. And that interest rate spike was so rapid that it was threatening to basically undermine or, or make the, the pension funds non-solvable. At the same time, 24% of UK mortgages are what we call variable rate. You may know this back from the subprime days, right? Yeah. All those rates were about to reset. So you're about to have a massive impact into the housing market. 
We have that same environment here in the U.S. We just haven't got to the trigger point yet, right? We still have a lot of margin on the books. Yes, it's come down some, but we're still at historically high levels in margin debt. Um, the housing market is still very critical. People have been buying houses. And look, we don't have subprime mortgages, right? We don't have that. But we have a lot of people that were buying very overpriced houses with 3% mortgage down, 0% mortgage down, those type of things. And when those prices start to fall enough, that's going to cause a bigger supply of inventory to come to market, drop prices further. You, and, and so far, right, you know, we had all these payment moratoriums going on. People didn't have to pay their mortgages. That's about to all play catch up because just because you are in a moratorium doesn't mean you don't owe the money. That interest has been accruing this whole time. And now that's about to impact household budgets. So default risk is really picking up here. But again, that's why you watch credit spreads. You watch your spreads between your, your A-rated bonds and your C-rated bonds. You, you look at your different yield structures. Those are starting to increase. They're not to, to worrisome levels yet, but that can happen literally overnight. And that'll happen if, some, if, the, if, the, if the Fed hikes rates to a point that something breaks. That's when you see this stuff start to blow out. And, and again, that's when the Fed will start cutting rates. But that's not when you want to buy stocks, because when they're cutting rates, you're going to be in the midst of the decline. When they get towards zero, that's when you start buying stocks again. So is the Fed being too aggressive here? Absolutely. No doubt. That, that, that's a quick answer there. Why? <laughs> well, I was warning. Look, the, the economy has more debt than at any other point in history, right? 30 trillion in government debt, household debts at a record, consumer credits at a record. We're all dependent on low rates, right? So the Fed's here hiking rates on the short end, which comes right home into credit cards and, and other types of structures. Um, and, and so, but think about this. See, the problem is, is the Fed's looking at all this lagging data, like employment data. Housing data runs a three-month lag. Employment data is very shady at best but it's a lagging indicator. So they're hiking rates based on unemployment being very, you know, very low right now. So like, oh, well, employment's fine. We don't have to worry about it. The problem is, is employment can rise very quickly. So you can start seeing job layoffs just surge literally in a month or two. And this will all be a function of, you know, CEOs finally losing that last bit of confidence in the market. So you take a look at the CEO confidence indicator. It's now back to where we were in 2008, right? So very low levels yeah, yeah. of CEO confidence. That always precedes uh, uh, layoffs and, and unemployment. Now, here's the point. Think about it this way. You're a runner, right? So I send you off running down the road, right? So you're running and you're going to run to a destination. Look at that. He doesn't get the right motion, right? That's awesome. Now, while you're running, I'm going to send out a runner with a 25-pound plate and put it on your back, right? Ooh. So so each one of those, well, each plate that comes, right, is a 25 basis point rate hike. So I'm sending these runners out in regular intervals. So as you're run, you're still running 25 pounds on your plate. You still got this, right? Another 25, you're okay. You're slowing down a bit. You're slowing down, but it's okay. Well, the problem is, is that on the third or fourth plate, you're on your knees, right? Can't carry oh. the weight, right? But there's still, but here's the problem. This is the Fed, right? They're hiking rates. And there's a point to where that rate hike will break the economy. And when that begins to happen, there's still rate hikes that are coming. There's about a six to nine month lag in rate hikes. So the rate hike that's impacting the market now was the one in March. We still have 150 basis points of rate hikes that won't show up into the markets until next year, Oof. early next year. So as the economy slows down, you're getting more and more of a break. These plates being put on top of the economy. And that's why the Fed always overshoots. It's very likely the Fed has already tightened too much and will have an, a, a much deeper economic recession than people think. And the problem is that they don't stop. Each one of those plates are still coming into the markets into next year. Love the analogy there. And uh, I'm going to have to get the stronger back to they handle that Fed weight. But Definitely. I think it's an important way to look at it. And one of the things that you even just did for me is make it a little bit clearer, too, because even myself, I've been thinking, well, I mean, you know, inflation is just so stressing that maybe that's just that, that needs to be the primary focus. Right. Right. Forget about the markets. But I agree with what you're saying there in that, you know, the effect that isn't felt until later down the line could be too late. 
at yeah. that point. So well, uh, see, the, the thing about inflation is, is they're fighting this inflation boogeyman, right? 8% inflation. That's all we hear about. Five-year forward. But if you look at what the market's saying about inflation, so you look at forward inflation rates, what the futures market is saying, the futures market's saying two and a half to 3%, right? So back to the Fed target. See, high prices will cure high prices. And this inflation that we have is not one of strong organic growth and lots of economic activity. Um, what it is, is a function of all that monetary intervention that we slammed into the market when we shut the economy down. Too much, too much demand, too little supply. So if the Fed did nothing with rate hikes, that inflation is going to come down as all that $5 trillion of liquidity leaves the economy. And that's in the process of happening. So with them hiking rates, they're going to exacerbate the downturn in inflation. And the bigger risk to individual investors is going to be deflation, not inflation. And one of the best trades coming up, and we're very close to this point right now, is buying 10-year treasury bonds. They're going to outperform stocks most likely in 2023. There's about 60 to 70% capital appreciation in 10-year treasuries right now. I think that's an important thing to notice. You know, one of the things is, you know, being in equity markets and trading, you're always hearing people talk about stocks, 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 right? Well, there's other asset classes that you need to be paying attention to. And I think that's a great conversation that you're bringing into it with the treasury bonds. Last one I want to go ahead is you've recently put out an article about potentially maybe that big short squeeze coming. Tell us why you're still seeing this and do you think the, the rally is incoming and what are certain things that we should be looking for to see that rally come? Well, I think you're seeing those right now. And, and again, the, the point was, if you take a look at a lot of indicators, in fact, I'm kind of following up on that article on this weekend's newsletter on the website as well. Excellent. So if you, go to, if you go to realinvestmentadvice.com, there's a newsletter subscription button. I'll email it to you. Um, but, you know, if you take a look at things like the number of stocks on bullish buy signals, that's at the lowest levels we've seen since 2008. Um, uh, uh, investor, individual and professional investor sentiment is at extremely low levels. And, and again, it's just that all these, uh, you know, and just all these individuals are off sides. And so, you know, when you get a lot of selling in the markets and we had six, uh, basically six straight days of selling, we had that little rally yesterday, gave it all back up today. That's not great market action, by the way. Um, but it smells a little bit of capitulation, right? We're starting to see these kind of bigger up volume days. Um, you know, when we get these sell-off days, that volume's picking up. So again, we're kind of getting, and we're getting these kind of big deviations from moving averages. And the important thing about moving averages is they're like gravity. Um, you can't have a moving average unless prices trade above and below that moving average over a period of time. So if you think about a moving average, it's it's you know, it's like it's a fixed point in time. And if I stretch a rubber band as far as I can in one direction and let it go, physics says that it has to snap back an equal and an, op, an equal distance in the opposite direction. So just and prices work the same way when they get too deviated from that moving average you're going to get that snap back towards the moving average. That's what happened in June, July, and August. We went from well below the 50-day moving average to three standard deviations above the moving average. And that was where the 200-day moving average was, by the way. Failed there and then came back down and have retraced that whole game. Uh, that's, again, that's not great market action. That's exactly what you expect to see in a bear market. Um, and also, too, I've been showing this chart lately about the 2008 analog that you know we're tracking almost perfectly what happened in 2008 well the point we're at right now was the low before the rally that we had before lehman so you know if we're going to continue and again look i hate analogs because every time is different yeah. but the point of that chart was to show you that even in bear markets you get opportunities to sell at a better price and so you know the the, the two mistakes I'll, I'll close with this the two mistakes that investors make are they panic sell at bottoms? And then when the market does rally to give them an exit point, they start thinking that the bull market's back and they don't want to sell because they, they don't want to miss more upside. And so the market's going to give you opportunities to sell. Just make sure that you take the opportunity to sell. Yeah, it's hard. It's, it's, it's one of those things where I see, you know, a lot of people just always trying to play the hero game. And we know how that usually ends up playing the hero. And, and what I always say is even if you don't maybe catch the bottom, maybe you miss a couple percent. 
think we're pretty far from the top, right? <laughs> I mean, so right. it's not going to be the worst thing to miss a, a percent or two. So right. I appreciate you coming on. We did a little overtime. So you guys in the chat, do us the favor, hit the thumbs on up. Appreciate you coming on like always, Lance. And we'll have you back on. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. Great, great conversation there. I think I could talk to Lance all day and I think you guys in chat could definitely listen in, but don't miss it. Go ahead and check out his channel if you want to hear more of that conversation. And he does a lot of great coverage. So it's not just, you know, one show. He, he has multiple shows that you guys can tune in and check out. I'll go ahead and wrap up the day. There's a lot going on in the market. It looks like we just made a new low. So it's it's troublesome out there in the markets and uh, is apple making new lows also yeah new lows on the intraday on apple so as apple keeps going today i think the the market will too tesla also coming down there significantly today so just be careful out there traders we never know where the market's going to go and in this market i think the number one thing you got to be thinking about is what capital preservation hanging on so we can get back to the bull market. Hit the thumbs up on your way out. I'll see you next time right here, Stock Market Movers with Money Mitch. Let's keep going on the day. Up next, you guys will have at the close at 3.30 p.m. Eastern, I'll be back with Joel Alconan as we take a look at all the action that happened today.